It's called life. Mm -hmm. It's called loss. It's this notion of attachment, which is the Buddhist notion that so much of our suffering stems from attachment. Mm -hmm. And the answer is not detachment, right? Attachment, the, the belief that my self-esteem and my self-worth is dependent upon some preconceived notion, some preconceived concept of what life is supposed to be like. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, we're knocked on our asses. And the answer to that is not to not care about anything. But the adult stance is to care as much as you've always cared and take joy out of that care and to breathe. And here's the other move for you. Grieve the losses. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I can remember that night like it was yesterday. I was standing in this tiny kitchen of our generously titled One Bedroom, 425 square foot apartment on the corner of 17th Street and 3rd Avenue in New York. It was somewhere around March of 2009. And despite the relatively new lights in the apartment, it was still so dark and cramped and just kind of depressing. My now wife, then girlfriend, and I had just had our first serious conversation about marriage and engagement rings. And I felt awful. Not because she was asking for or pushing for anything extravagant in terms of the ring, but the conversation just really reminded me that I wasn't where I was supposed to be by then. I was supposed to be much further along. I was supposed to be there, where I had it all figured out, where I was finally successful, where I was finally sure of myself and my worth. And I wasn't even close. I can still see in my head the image that perfectly captured how I felt. If you were to chart my path, my growth, my success up to that point, and it also charted a path of where I felt like I was supposed to be, the gap would have been enormous. If they were stock charts, where I was supposed to be might have been Netflix. But where I felt like I actually was? Well, that was Blockbuster. Stumble after stumble after stumble of spoiled potential. Down and to the right, not up and to the right. If you were to draw out your life on a line graph as if it were a stock chart, what would that look like? If you were to draw out your growth, your career growth, your future starting from today, what would that look like? My guess is you might have something that goes up and to the right. Would you have dips? Would you have peaks? Or would it just be a smooth progression? If you're anything like me or my clients, my guess is you'd have a pretty smooth line heading up and to the right for your future. And that is a trap. I'll let you in on a little secret. You're going to have dips. You're going to have valleys. And they'll probably be painful or at the very least uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. The pain that you feel in those can be tremendously powerful. For me, it pushed me to go harder, to get out of my comfort zone, to learn new things, to do more. But it's a flawed strategy when you feel pain in every dip, every challenge, every setback. Because for me, instead of wanting to push forward, the pain actually started to overwhelm. It made me want to give up. It made me blind to actually where I was. What I didn't realize that night, standing in the tiny cramped kitchen, 
the apartment at 17th Street and 3rd Avenue, was that I wasn't behind. I was already there. It's just not where I thought there was. Jerry once said to me, everything is great and I'm okay. Everything is shit and I am okay. Or to put it another way, I'm moving up and to the right and I'm okay. I'm moving down and to the right and I'm okay. And that's life. When my daughter was born, the chart suddenly looked very different. What I imagined what her chart looked like, what her future looked like. You can't have peaks without dips. You can't have progress without stalls. And you can't have progression without regression. In holding my daughter, I realized that fundamentally, the chart was flawed because it actually never reflects what I assumed it was meant to reflect. My value, my worth. I am enough in a peak. I am enough in a valley. I'm okay. So are you. Dylan Bowman has lived and thrived in a life of up and to the right. As an exceptional professional endurance athlete, he's had a career of pushing himself and his body to constantly improve, to constantly progress. And in the progress and the peaks, he felt joy of doing and being exactly where he should be. But in the valleys of setbacks and injuries, he felt the pain of being behind, the pain of not being good enough, and having it all be his fault for not working hard enough. And after a deep valley last year, he found Jerry's book and ultimately found his way to our podcast in a conversation with Jerry with a new perspective. I am a good person on the peaks. I am a good person in the valleys. But how did he get there? Reboot Your Year is our invitation for you to pause and honor the transition into the new year. This simple yet powerful free five-day course will guide you through the annual transition with grace and open you to the promise and hope for the year ahead. The course unfolds through daily emails, each with a cone to consider and a guided journaling practice handcrafted by the Reboot team. Each practice takes less than 20 minutes to complete. We'll help you enjoy this course so much You'll make it part of your annual practice and even share it with teammates and colleagues. Learn how to reboot your 2020 at RebootYourYear.com. Hi, Dylan. It's good to see you. Hey, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me. Sure, sure. Before we get started, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Dylan Bowman. I am from here in Boulder, Colorado. However, now I'm living up in Carbondale outside Aspen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm an athlete, first and foremost. That's how I've always identified, where I've always found my self-worth and my motivation and mm -hmm. my drive. Mm -hmm. And um, I am a professional athlete. I run uh, professionally, travel the world, competing in super long distance mountain foot races. Mm -hmm. um, so what people would normally call an ultra marathon, that's right. sort of what I specialize in, uh, usually races between 50 and 100 miles. And uh, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Well, what would be helpful to talk about today? Sure. So I think for me, the last 12 months have been easily the hardest 12 months mm -hmm. of my life, not only as a human being, but also as an athlete. And obviously, there's a lot of overlap there because mm. when one is off, the other suffers. And in this case, both have been <laughs> quite mm. off. Mm. And uh, as you know, um, 
we have a mutual friend who mm-hmm. has gotten a lot out of your work and yeah, who- That's Brett Jackson. My, yeah, uh, a yeah. good friend of mine, Brett Jackson, who I grew up with here in Boulder, went to school with growing up and somebody who I've always really, really admired as a bright um, intellectual business person mm-hmm. and uh, somebody who I've always seen as a, as a kindred spirit whose advice I've always really um, taken to heart. And he and I met in Aspen a few weeks ago, and um, we had a really amazing in-depth conversation about some of the struggles I was going through and how they were similar to some of the struggles he had gone through Mm -hmm. in the past. And he recommended your book to me, um, and I bought it the next day. And just as uh, I was getting into it, uh, I sort of hit a little bit more adversity, uh, which is something we can talk about, but basically mm. just uh, another injury occurred, mm. uh, which gave me more time to to sit with a book. And long story short, I read it in a few days and it had a really big impact on me and uh, yeah, something that I'd love to talk about. So I just want to just, um, first of all, say thank you. Um, just a word about the book. One one of the experiences that I've been having is um, I had uh, steeled myself for having been uh, vulnerable in the book. I prepared myself well for that. What I did not prepare myself well for was the impact the book might have on other people. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to acknowledge that and recognize that. But but I. I think there's an opportunity here to sort of um, understand what's up for you. Mm-hmm. And um, so what's up for you? What, what, <laughs> what's it been like? Yeah. Sure. So at this point last summer, and we're recording here at the beginning of September, I was sort of winding down what was probably the best season of my career as a professional athlete. Everything had gone amazingly well. Things in my life were clicking. Um, My training was coming easily. And everything was then reflected at the most important point, which for me is the day of competition. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you show up feeling ready and you don't perform the way that you'd like to. Last year, everything just clicked for me. Mm -hmm. And I think this point last year, I sort of felt like I had everything figured out, you know, Mm. like I had somehow found some cheat code about how to train, when to train, how to eat, how to rest, how to care for myself, all those important things as an athlete. And I figured I could just take that template and sort of copy paste it every year going forward. Sort of thinking. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Just feeling like, okay, I've figured this out. This is how it's going to be. And I think when you have moments like that, the universe has a way to sort of show you that you don't have everything figured out. And for me, it's been a really difficult struggle since then. Basically, almost exactly 12 months of Mm. hardship for Mm. me. And the way I can best walk you through it without taking the entire amount of time that we have was I sort of just fell into a really bad depressive episode near the end of last year, Mm -hmm. really for no reason at all other than 
uh, general feeling of unsettledness in mm-hmm. my life, which I think we can talk about in a little bit more depth because I think that's sort of been one of the major things for me that sort of led to this pattern of sort of struggle and setback. And a lot of it was self-created, as we can talk about too. But then coming into this year's competitive season, I, I really just didn't feel like myself. And it was it's now been outwardly reflected in some you know, very obvious ways. So for example, I started my season this year in January by going to a 100-kilometer race in Hong Kong. When I arrived in Hong Kong, again, I was sort of just feeling really worn down and really just depressed, you know, no other way to put it, but just like depressed. When I arrived, I picked up some sort of traveler's flu, was very, very sick, ultimately not able to do the race. Very disappointing after traveling across the world. Fast forward a couple months, I was going to be doing a ski mountaineering race in Aspen where I live with a partner, a good friend of mine who lives in Montana. Two days before the race, this time I come down with uh, some sort of viral chest throat infection that makes me not be able to start that race. Then... (laughs) Uh, my next sort of running competition that I had scheduled was due to be in the Canary Islands in Spain in May. And because we had such a intense winter here in Colorado with lots of snowfall, particularly where I live, I decided to go out to Portland, Oregon to do some training for a few weeks before I flew to Spain to do this race just to get on some dry, dry land. Drove all the way out there, and the first day I was there on my first run, I rolled my ankle so 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 bad that I fractured my fibula, and so that was a really good opportunity for me to sort of get my shit together, for lack of a better word, and. Unfortunately, I didn't really take that opportunity. Didn't give myself the time that I needed to, to rest and heal, even though clearly I think that's what my body and the universe was sort of telling me to do at the time. There was some outside pressure that Mm -hmm. we can talk about as well. Um, It sort of led me to feel like I needed to get back to training right away. So I sort of was pushing myself to get through this. And ultimately my body, my foot, my ankle, my Achilles uh, on the foot where I had the injury sort of got to a point where I could no longer train. And this Mm -hmm. is about the time that I met with Brett Jackson and he told me about your book. And then uh, the next day, because I was no longer running, I went out for a bike ride, crashed my bike, separated my shoulder. So I think that sort of catches you up on the main sort of acute moments where this sort of internal turmoil, I think, has been outwardly reflected. And when I then was sitting at home trying to come to terms with what had happened when I separated my shoulder and just like trying to understand what the lesson was in Mm -hmm. this long pattern of really severe disappointment, I started reading your book. And it, it really helped me reframe the way that I was approaching myself, mm. my identity as an athlete, what was really important to me, why it was important to me, and 
what I could get out of the experience and mm. the how experience of being injured, the experience of being injured and just this underlying feeling of just like being unsatisfied and unsettled. And I've sort of had that feeling now for a year. And I'm somebody who has luckily dealt with very, very little trauma and adversity in my life. Mm. And this is really the first time in my whole life I can say, like, I've been depressed mm. and in a prolonged way. You know, mm. obviously I've had my ups and downs, but nothing that's been this challenging. Mm. And um, yeah, so just reading your book and having a sort of change in perspective and um, a lot of great just th thought-provoking mm -hmm. um, journaling exercises and mm -hmm. things that you include in the book uh, to help me as an athlete understand, you know, that I'm not just an athlete, right? And, mm -hmm. and to make sure that my self-worth isn't only caught up in that identity. Okay. Oh, I appreciate your sharing all of that. And uh, uh, there's a part of my ego that would love to dive deep in a, on a discussion about the book. But I'm going to actually suggest we put that to the side for a little bit. Because here's a feeling I had when you were talking. It was hard for you to breathe. Does that resonate with you? It does. And it's funny you say that because I have had this visceral sense of just being clenched, yeah. you know, yeah. for 12 months. Yeah. And even when I go running sometimes, yeah. I'll just like feel this weird tightness in my yeah. body. Yeah. So, so I'm going to try something I don't think I've ever done on the podcast before, but I've done in person sessions before. I'm going to suggest that you uncross your legs. <laughs> And then you actually just ah, take a deep breath with me. And I want to reflect back. You've kind of had an ass kicking. And it wasn't just, it was like this. It was like you were down and then got kicked. And then... The universe, after kicking you, turned around, walked away, and then came back and kicked you again. Does that feel? That's how it's felt. And it, it seems to come at strange times, too. Mm. Sort of, at least from my perspective, coming at moments where I'm finally starting to feel some momentum, you know, mm. start, finally starting to feel like I'm figuring it out, I'm working through it, and the wind might finally be at my back, and then something will happen like crashing my bike or breaking my ankle where it's just like so defeating. And um, yeah, I mean, the external injury component is just one component of sort of how I feel. And that goes back to me sort of saying that me as a person and me as an athlete are both have both been out of sync and obviously there's there's a lot of overlap mm. into my performances as an athlete mm. and that being my lifestyle and my livelihood and my general feeling of being settled and content in my personal life 
I'm going to reflect back and just follow my intuition on a couple of things. You use the phrase, figure it out twice, if I can recall correctly. The first time was when you were described the fact that you thought you had it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about just now figuring it out, still trying to figure it out. And earlier you used a phrase that really caught me, stuck with me. I got to get my shit together. And just now, again, you use this phrase of around a kind of uh, ease. I'm remembering what you said to me and what it's internalized as, and I could be wrong here, so correct me if I've got the language wrong. But I didn't suffer a lot of trauma. It was kind of a life of ease, and I had it figured out. Yes. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have my shit together. Mm -hmm. And now I still don't have my shit together. And I've been ill at ease, these are all my words now, mm -hmm. for the better part of a year. And I had to get my shit together. What does the phrase, get my shit together, mean? I think for me, it's generally just, again, going back to feeling like things are clicking along, you They're know? Clicking along. Like, you know, you can sort of go about your daily life without much labor, without much forethought, without you show much up, complication. You, you, you do a a hundred mile run and everything just goes. Whether or not you win, it just goes. Right. That's most of your life, has been most of your life? I mean, sport has always been my life. Even before I was a runner, I was a team sport athlete. And that has always been my love. You know, outside of being an athlete, I love following sport. I love watching sport. I admire athletes. I follow athletes. And so that's always been sort of like my love. And I think part of the reason why I love it is because it's the environment in which you either have your shit together or you're exposed as having not had your shit together. And, and you've always, in effect, had your shit together. Yes. And, and so you love having the feeling of having your shit together. Right. And there's, it's a very controlled environment, right? Because you have this period of training whereby it's all, it's up to you and your coach and, you know, mm -hmm. the people that you have on your team to do the work that's necessary to make sure you show up at the competition with your shit together. And if you do, you either win or you have a performance that you're proud Probably. of, even if you you're not victorious. Personal best right. kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and if you slack off in practice, if you don't do the little things that ultimately feed the larger things, which feed the larger success, then you get exposed. And I think that's why I've always uh, enjoyed sport, because there is that level of control over yeah. your own destiny and over your own... Um, and whether or not you're exposed. 
Yes. And whether or not you're exposed as not having had your shit together. Mm-hmm. Or whether you've slacked off. Yeah. When did you first learn that you should not slack off? Again, it probably goes back to my earliest days of, you know, being an athlete. I mean, I remember distinctly when Sports Illustrated would show up at my house. You know, I'd basically read it cover to cover. How old were you? Young. I mean, like... Like before 10. Yeah, 10 and earlier. Uh Uh, And I've always sort of had this weird kind of uh, photographic memory with statistics and, Mm -hmm. you know, where people go to college and... uh, James Abstracts. Yeah, results of races and things like that. And so it's always sort of like been this thing that comes second nature to me. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the time at which I, I mean sort of felt that for the first time. Uh, it's felt always been love? related to, to sport. Felt that love, perhaps? Yeah, you potentially. My love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still in, in my personal life, my best friends are people who I met through sport, whether it's the guys I played lacrosse with in college, the guys I compete against now in running, my friends who I train with, Sport has always been sort of like the core of my life. And that's why my identity has always been so wrapped up in it. And that's, but, and, and I've always been motivated to perform well. And when you're performing well, you know, it obviously soothes your, your ego too. And you're getting something very valuable back from sport at the same time. And so this year is really the first time for me where it's like failure after failure and then you start to feel like you're kind of a fraud, you know, like, wait, maybe I'm not this great athlete. You're like, exposed as not having your shit together. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when did an accident become a failure? I'm sorry, an accident? Yeah. Because an injury is an accident. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I think all of this is, is self-created, right? And I think internally in my heart of hearts, I know that breaking my ankle was not like my fault and it doesn't make me a bad athlete or... Your adult brain knows that. Right. But, you know, at the same time, and just to add a little bit of context, at the end of last year, sort of right when I was falling into this sort of depressive episode, I was renegotiating all my contracts with my sponsors. Uh And because I had such a great season last year... Obviously, I was compensated as such, right? And then you come into this year, 2019, with all these new contracts and new sponsors, along with the old sponsors who I've been with for a long time, and then sort of hit this rough patch. And even though internally in my heart of hearts, like I said, I know it doesn't make me a bad person that I broke my ankle or make me a bad athlete that I broke my ankle, at the same time, it's so hard to feel like these people are compensating me as if I'm performing well and winning races. And but you were. I was, right. They compensated uh, you. So I'm, I, I know I'm interrupting. Right. I apologize for that. But I'm trying to unpack it. 
Were these the best contracts that you'd gotten to date? Yes. Like an order of magnitude, like significantly better? Yes. Okay. I'm going to quote from the book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote my father. See if this lands with you. The higher up the pole the monkey climbs, the more his ass shows. Yeah. That's a pretty high spot on that pole that monkey went up to, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's so easy to, when things are clicking, like last year, where I felt like, okay, this is it. Figured yeah. it out. Copy, paste, next year, year after that. And then I'm done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they'll and, never know that I'm really a slacker. Right. And I feel like I've always made the smart and right decisions at the critical moments, you know, for example, a lot of my friends who I came up with in the sport have dealt with, you know, major injuries or have done too much. And in our sport, that's a serious thing whereby you sort of fry your energy system and can't really compete at the same level for a couple of years, if not forever. I've never been somebody who trains too much. I've never been somebody who races too much. And I've felt like I've just always sort of had my shit together, right? And again, going back to last year where I was just having success after success, of course, all your sponsors are happy. Everybody mm. want, everybody wants to talk to you. You feel like you're an important person in the sport. Your ego feels good and you have sort of this self-worth mm. in your identity as an athlete. But yeah, then your ass shows when you're up at that high level on the pole and you realize that you don't really have it figured out and the universe will make sure that you know that you don't have it figured out right at the moment that where you feel like you do and for me that's just how it's felt for the last mm-hmm. 12 months you said that uh you were able to start reframing both because of the book but also because of the work that you've been doing how are you holding the experience now much better, I would say, in a much more healthy way. And the book honestly has been instrumental in that. And it found me at the most perfect moment, which, you know, again, going back to the universe feeling like it won't give me a break. That was a moment where it felt like, okay, here's what you need right now. And I said this to you in email as well, but even though the book is focused mostly on business people, entrepreneurs, founders, I feel like you could substitute the word athlete in on every page and it would resonate Mm -hmm. and have the exact same message and impact. At least it did for me. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of overlap too between business people and athletes because we do have these moments of just like, amazing success where just like you feel like you have conquered the world and achieved something so amazing. And then you have the, obviously just like the mundane day to day, the training, you know, the stuff you do when nobody's looking, the just, um, average days over and over and over that are obviously, uh, orchestrated or, oriented towards some future goal, but are just generally Mm. average days. Mm. And then again, on the other side of the spectrum, you have just these crushing, crushing failures and moments where it just feels like it's never going to get better. And so that's why I think the book was so good for me at at that moment and why I think Mm. um, 
it's just as applicable to athletes as it is to business people. What was it that uh, you were able to reframe things to? What 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 is the? Because what I'm hearing is, uh, uh, and I think this is a universal challenge that goes beyond leadership, goes beyond entrepreneurship. This notion of hanging our self-esteem on, on I think as I said in the book, the whisper of an idea, the notion that we are only that which we accomplish mm -hmm. and the danger. And that what I'm sensing, Dylan, is that as you paid a price for the pursuit of excellence, always getting your shit together. Mm -hmm. And the benefit here is really important to acknowledge. The benefit is you've had an amazing life. Right. And the downside to that has been um, painful. Mm-hmm. There's a cost associated with that. But what was – tell me about that reframe for you. Where, Yeah. So I think the most important thing for me was to acknowledge how lucky I've been and mm -hmm. the level of privilege that I've been subjected to in my life. I'm going to interrupt. The level of luck – the level of privilege was a direct result of the hours and hours and hours of sacrifice that you put in. Mm -hmm. Right. But the, it the wasn't things, that you were subjected to. Right. But the things that I can't control, you know, the sure. family I was born into. So the, 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 your whiteness. My whiteness, my right. maleness, my straightness, it, all everything. those things. And again, sort of learning more about your story in the book and how you had dealt with this crisis as well, sort of at a moment where externally you seemed like you had your shit together. Right. You kept having these successes and career advancements, and yet internally you were kind of miserable. Right. Um, and understanding for me then the mismatch there that mm. – the external can't be your main source of internal satisfaction. And Amen. so for me, one of the major things that I took from the book was that just thinking to myself, sort of like, what is it about me that needs to beat people in races or to win in competitions in order to feel like a good person, you know, mm -hmm. and coming to terms with the fact that I actually am a good person even outside of winning races. And when I'm not at the top, when I'm not, you know, on the podium, that I still have positive things to contribute to the world. And again, because I've been an athlete my whole life and that's always been my identity, that's always where I've had my self-worth. For me, mm -hmm. that was sort of like a profound thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a really good feeling of like, oh, wait, like I don't need to be crushing it this year in order to have a positive impact. In fact, to the contrary, sharing my experiences as an injured athlete and the hardships and lessons that come from it is probably more valuable to the people who follow me than pictures of me holding trophies. Why so? I think you're right, but why so? Because everybody goes through it. And that's the other thing too with the book 
And your story mm. is that even people who are seemingly have their shit together, have everything figured out, have all the uh, sort of external metrics of success that you would be looking for in terms of family and career success and wealth, they're dealing with shit also. Mm. And for me, having this, like, reached my 33rd year, having never dealt with an episode of serious depression or feeling like I was floundering and life was never going to be the same and never going to get better mm -hmm. to learn that even those among us who seem best off are dealing with their own stuff mm -hmm. that lifts a certain level of sort of self-loathing i think mm -hmm. um just understanding that you know you're not alone in the struggle mm -hmm. and even if it seems kind of overwhelming on its face with some perspective when you learn about other people's stories, when you truly understand that you're not the only one going through it, there's sort of like a, uh, you sort of share that burden with other people a little bit more and you understand that um, it's not yours alone to carry and that you can help people by speaking honestly about what you go through. Yeah. I, you know, um, I'm quite moved by what you're saying. Um, you read well. <laughs> but, um, and I relate to what you're saying um, through my own story. And um, I'll take it one level further. This could be a projection on my part. So reject it if it doesn't feel like it fits you. Uh, but there's something really powerful in taking our wounds and turning them into something sacred. And that uh, jujitsu move of the sacred wound um, is incredibly powerful. And here you are at 33. Um, I see you wearing a wedding ring. Yes. You're married? Married, yep. Any children? No children. And so we got our, the rest of our lives. And the truth is, just as uh, my early careers shifted, your career may shift. <laughs> it will shift. Yeah. It has to. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing you, you probably will be fitter than the average 20-year-old <laughs> when you're 70. Okay? You remind me a little bit of my client, Ben Saunders, who's been on the show. Mm -hmm. Ben is the polar explorer mm -hmm. who in his off-seasons – will to run 100-mile marathons. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he's nuts like you. <laughs> but the sacred move here is to never, ever forget what this last year has been like. Mm -hmm. Because just around the corner is somebody who just rolled their ankle and broke it. Mm -hmm. And just up the street is somebody who just got sick in Hong Kong. And you know what that's like. Mm -hmm. And that's compassion. Mm -hmm. And whether you're coaching them in some future date or being a sports psychologist and sports coach with this kind of awareness or just another athlete, 
walking shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you can reach into that pain. Mm-hmm. And you can say, I know what it's like. For the first time. For the first time. Yeah. And the um, the experience has been valuable for me, even though it's, it feels, you know, like it's still going on and that it's never going to end that I, I, I think it has prepared me for, like you said, the inevitable end, you know, when I do age out of being able to compete and when I do ultimately have to come to terms with life after athletics, at least after competitive athletics, which again is how I've always seen myself and where I've always felt my best. And that has been also an incredibly valuable thing for me to sort of come to terms with now, you know, Mm -hmm. while I hopefully still have several good years ahead of me, to finally sort of have this glimpse into that pain and Mm -hmm. that loss of uh, having your identity and what you love to do your whole life and these skills where you get all your self-worth, you know, and people are congratulating you. and um, You're literally getting medals. You're getting ribbons. Right. And right as you cross the finish line. And so, you know, if, if I hadn't gone through this year and got to the end of my career with having never faced uh, this year of setback and disappointment, I'm sure it would hurt even more. And I feel like I will be better prepared for that now. And it has also strengthened my resolve to fight like hell against that encroaching Mm. end at the same time and Mm. continue to do the little things, Mm. have my shit together in order to keep doing it. Because it is what I just love, you know, and I miss it so much. And it's given me so much. And I still feel like... I have so much left to give. Mm. And that's why it's been so hard, you know, to just feel like my body's betraying me, but like my heart and mind and soul want nothing more than to be back on the start line. And I was in Europe last week for a race that I was supposed to be doing, but obviously due to these circumstances had to pull out of, I was there doing media stuff and sponsor stuff and commentary and uh, things like that. And it just like I had moments of just like, man, I love this so much. And also just deep moments of depression of like, God, is it ever going to come back? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, the, you know, the dichotomy is still there, you know, like being okay with the situation as it is <laughs> and struggling against it and thinking like, how can I avoid this? So let me give you some observations and reflections. Um, the first is to remember that it's all a process. And that uh, part in that process, part of what we are seeking is um, a continue evolving and integration of the experiences. Um, we don't ever arrive at the place where we are done. Mm-hmm. We just are keep moving in that direction. So when you find yourself on the sidelines giving media commentary, feeling perhaps envy, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. feeling loss, or noting, as you just said, my body betrayed me. Dude, nobody betrayed anybody. The, yeah, and again, in my adult brain, I understand that. Yeah. But in my lizard brain, I yeah. guess it's yeah. it's just hard to, it's just so hard well, to but come you, to terms but do you, with you, you, you feel this like this self-critical do loop that gets started. My body betrayed me. I betrayed my body by not properly training. Mm-hmm. I know better. And then the dog is chasing his tail. Mm-hmm. It's called life. Mm-hmm. It's called loss. And the piece that I'm really going to, well, there's two pieces here that I'm going to recommend you work with. One is this notion of attachment, which is the Buddhist notion that so much of our suffering stems from attachment. Mm-hmm. And the answer is not detachment, right? Attachment, the, the belief that my self-esteem and my self-worth is dependent upon some preconceived notion, some preconceived concept of what life is supposed to be like. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, we're knocked on our asses. And the answer to that is not to not care about anything. But the adult stance is to care as much as you've always cared and take joy out of that care and to breathe. And here's the other move for you. Grieve the losses. You know, uh, in chapter eight, which is a, a chapter I think you resonated with, this is the one about the movement um, from heartbreak to resilience to equanimity. And I talk about life on the roller coaster. The piece of that book, that chapter that I, I did not share, was the inspiration for that chapter for me. And it's simply because we didn't get permission to quote the poem. And it's a poem called Lead by Mary Oliver, in which she speaks about uh, coming across a loon dead on the beach of a lake. And it is one of the most poignant poems I've ever read on the nature of grief. And I think one of the unexplored pieces, I didn't do it justice, but one of the unexplored pieces that might be available for you is to actually do some grief work around the passing of time, around aging. (laughs) There's no betrayal. Mm. It's just time. And it hurts like nobody's business. Yeah. Does and this is really the first time I felt it, mm. you know, felt the years wearing on. And because and I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but this is really the first like set of injuries I've ever had. And right. I've been an athlete my whole life, as I've said. And so I've always had this, I think, arrogance about my health, you know, mm. and always have just assumed that I was going to be fine because I had no counterexamples to point to in the past where my colleagues Mm. and competitors who I race against 
they all deal with injuries. We all, and everybody in sport deals with injuries. And I just sort of had this feeling that, no, I'm immune to it, you know? And so uh, I hear again, I, I, I hear these whispers of self-criticism that keep coming in. Mm-hmm. Was it arrogance? Was it a childlike belief in your body's immortality? Eh, it feels more appropriate. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't mean it in a very self-critical Good. way. What I mean is that, again, having the universe teach you a lesson that you need to learn at a time when you need to learn it. And to your point about attachment, that has been one of the biggest things for me with this whole episode and specifically as it relates to your book. Because when I fell and crashed my bike and separated my shoulder, it it finally hit me or got me to a point where I felt like, okay, whatever I'm doing is not working. I really need to, in this moment, let go. Mm. Stop trying to force myself to be healthy and give my body and mind an opportunity to get healthy. Mm. And so one of the things that I've done that sounds kind of silly but has helped me with the detachment is to try and dissociate a little bit from mm-hmm. my identity as an athlete, um, even though it's painful it, mm-hmm. and uh, feels unnatural to, at some at sometimes. Um, but for example, like every piece, almost every piece of clothing that mm-hmm. I own now is like sponsor branded, mm-hmm. you know, and it hit me as I was reading your book of like. You know, I'm really kind of putting on a show. I'm putting on a uniform Mm. and I'm not necessarily being true to myself, you know, in that. The self who's underneath the sponsored clothing. Mm -hmm. And so I, even though I'm sort of wearing this stuff today, (laughs) like I went out and bought new t-shirts and bought new hats and Mm. like, actively sort of like take off the uniform, stop being so attached Mm. to who you are as an athlete Mm. and stop putting all your self-worth into that. You know, Mm. it's okay that you love it and it motivates you and it's what you want to do, but it can't be the only place in which you find your worth as a human being. Mm. And that I think really helped me sort of with this attachment that I feel to the my identity as an athlete and the ego um, rewards that, that have come with it, mm-hmm. uh, being so well-supported, having fans, having success and trophies and medals to show for it. That can't be the root of what makes me cool with who I am as a person. I think you've, you've uh, experienced the limitations of that as a strategy. And perhaps now at 33, which is a magical age, by the way, well, offline, we'll talk about why 33 is a really magical age. But at 33, maybe the calling is to come up with a new way to see yourself, a new identity 
that is above and beyond and separate from that which has been so successful and gotten you to where you are today. Yeah, and if you want to have that conversation online, we, we can because <laughs> I, I think it's actually kind of interesting because I have an older brother mm. who's just one year older than me. And he last year in his 33rd year went through his own episode of just darkness. Mm. And it just killed me to see it. Mm. And our mother, when she was 33, had also a very depressing year. Mm. And it's strange to sort of like see that sort of, you know, Stick. Well, so what I was thinking, and not to call you Christ for yeah. a name, but Christ was 33 in the seminal year of his life. And as far as I remember, I could be wrong on this, when the Buddha set out for his journey of enlightenment, he was 33. Mm -hmm. um, there's something very magical about that time. And I know that folks out there listening will know the, the, the story of that better than I. I tend not to track it so well. No, I, I agree. And it goes back to what we were just talking about, about me sort of feeling my age for the first time mm -hmm. and, and feeling like I'm not a young person anymore mm -hmm. and understanding that I am not invincible, even though I've sort of proven to myself that I am over the course of many decades uh, to finally sort of feel the vulnerability of age and the accumulation of time and miles on your body um, is something that comes around this time in life. So, so perhaps the next part of your journey, and I'm really glad I've stayed away from racing metaphors or any of those running <laughs> metaphors. The next part of this journey is really um, about accepting your humanity. Because what you are is a man, frail, capable of extraordinary feats, uh, soaring great heights, and crashing and separating your shoulder. And that humanity is what brings you into community. And community is a salve. It's a balm for all that ails us. It's what Brett gave you when, you when you talked. It's what I gave with the book. It's that sharing. And that's what's ahead of you in your 34th year, <laughs> in your 35th year. That's what's available to you. So, so Dylan, I'm going to wrap us now. Uh, and I really appreciate your coming on the show. And... Uh, sharing with me on a personal basis, just sharing with all of us the story, but also your journey. Jerry, it really is a pleasure, and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you for saying it. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right?
Hi, this is Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening to the Reboot Podcast. Check out my book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I hope it really moves you.